That is a really good segue right into our series on the road to redemption. I want to invite you to turn to Psalm uh, 22 as we uh, look at that text this morning. And um, as, uh, um, as we do, uh, just a couple of, uh, one is a new thing. Yeah, Bridge Kids, you can go. I've, it's been so long, I just forgot. Um, so we're not taking an offering um, here. We're not passing the basket like we did back in the olden days. And um, many of you have adapted really well to giving online and to sending your checks in. And that's really, you have been very generous. God has been very generous with the bridge. Uh, we, we are going to start having an offering box right over there by the door. And... Uh, <laughs> Rudy, you're not supposed to stand near it. <laughs> and so uh, we're just making that available for anybody who wants to give in person and uh, just want you to be aware of that. Also, that QR uh, code uh, really works well. Luke should have tried it before he got here today. But you need a QR, uh, you need a code reader, and uh, it just opens right up to the communication card, and you can punch it in even uh, during the sermon today. So it may look like you're taking copious notes when you're actually just trying to think of something to do. And you could probably even download the QR reader if you don't have one while, uh, while you're just uh, waiting to get through Psalm 22. It is so good for me to be back in person and to see that you are real people. You don't know what it's like talking to three or four people with cameras and none of them are looking at me, you know. So um, I am really grateful to be here today. Um, so for several weeks now, we have been focusing on the road to redemption and our uh, focus has been in Mark 14 and 15. And we've seen a lot of details about the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. Actually, from um, Thursday evening to Friday about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, it included the Last Supper. And, and just a comment about the details. We've spent a lot of de time on the details in only one book. What I want us to know is, God has given us many, many details about the death of Jesus, about the crucifixion, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And there are many other passages that support that, and it's the center of the apostles' teaching. And why do you think God wants, has so many details? Why does he want us to know this? Uh, it's so important that we understand it. May we not take it for granted or go ho-hum, but it's, I hope this makes a difference. I hope we grow in our, our love for what Christ has done for us and our appreciation of him. So the last 24 hours included the Last Supper where Jesus established uh, communion in initiating the new covenant. He predicted that Judas would betray him and that Peter would deny him. And after praying then in the garden of Gethsemane, he was uh, arrested and abandoned by his disciples. He appeared before the religious leaders 
and they were convinced that Jesus was guilty of blasphemy. But they couldn't take that to Pilate because Pilate wasn't interested in their religious ideas. And so they came up with this plan to accuse Jesus of treason. He claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate was never convinced of Jesus' guilt. And out of political pressure of the people and of the religious leaders, uh, he ordered that Jesus be scourged and then crucified. Jesus was nailed to the cross about 9 a.m., but he was dead by 3 p.m. Today we look at Psalm 22, and it, is be, it has been called the crucifixion psalm. It was written by King David over 900 years before Christ. And there's nothing known in David's life that really fits this description. Nothing as drastic as this. Now, David could have been talking about an event from his own life, but he's using hyperbole, exaggeration. And Psalm 22 is what we call a messianic psalm. It is about the Messiah of Israel. And it goes beyond the writer's experience. Psalm 22 has many details uh, fulfilled in the life of Jesus. And Jesus knew this psalm well. Jesus even quotes it when he's on the cross. Jesus would have had this memorized. And he very possibly focused on it during his time on the cross. And so today, this uh, passage, I've entitled it, A View from the Cross. What was it like from Jesus? From Jesus' perspective, what did he experience? And so we're going to look at Psalm 22. And first in verses 1 through 10, having hope in the midst of suffering. The suffering is real. And the hope is real. And I'm going to just uh, read a portion here from um, Psalm 22, and we'll start with verse 1. The psalmist begins, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, I, I find no rest. Yet, you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were put, not put to shame. But I am a worm, not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who seek me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Verses 1 through 10. Having hope in the midst of suffering. The psalmist starts abruptly with an agonizing cry, verses 1 and 2. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is Jesus' personal experience on the cross. 
He feels abandoned and forsaken. He feels as if God is far away. He feels totally alone. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. I'm sure you felt abandoned. I'm sure you felt alone. I'm, I'm sure you felt that at times in your life, God has seemed very far away. Well, that was exactly Jesus' experience. Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? It seems like God doesn't hear him, as if God does not notice him. He cries out to God in deep anguish, but nothing. Now, we saw this last week in Mark chapter 15, verses 33 and 34. If you remember, at noon, darkness came over the whole land until in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, as Aramaic transliterated into English, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, verse 1. And so Jesus cries out, and he goes back to this psalm, and um, yet Jesus has not lost hope. Um, he recalls what he knows about God. He recalls how God has worked in the past. Now, let's just look at verses 3 through 5. The confidence now that he expresses in God. He says, yet you are enthroned as a holy one. You are the one Israel praises. He reminds God that God is the holy one. He's holy. He's He's enthroned on the highest praise. He's been enthroned on the praises of Israel, on the praises of his people. The scripture tells us that God is present in the praises of his people. And, and Jesus feels far from God, and he, and he reminds God about what he knows. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. He looks back at the Old Testament, at the scriptures that he knows and how God has worked. He, he is reminded about people like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and Moses, and Joshua. And they were in crisis, and they, and they, and they needed God's help, and they cried out, and, and God came through for them. And Jesus is reminding his father of this truth and how people of faith have walked, to go, walked with God and how God has answered. Now, there's a very important principle right here from Jesus. He is in the midst of the most horrific events of his life and he is turning to God and he has hope in God and he reminds God about who he is and what he has done in the past. And he's, this is how he prays. And we have a, if we can bounce back when we're in a crisis and when we feel like our world is coming apart and come back to what we know about God and what he has done and how he works in the past, this is one of the reasons why it's so important that you and I know the scriptures that we give our lives to continue learning. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's going to be more than just um, a, a little clip or a, a, a snippet of Scripture or a verse to take away. It's, 
It's going to be a life of learning about God and remembering what God has done. Verse 5, to, to you they cried out and were saved, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. And God's people throughout the ages have been in crisis, and they cried out. This is the hope of David the psalmist. God will deliver us. This is the hope of Jesus the Messiah. God will deliver him. And then he comes in verses 6 through 8 with a complaint. Complaint. And Jesus comes back to his immediate situation. He, he turns to God. He, 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 he talks to God about uh, how God has worked and what he knows about truth. And now he comes back and he describes his own situation, his own circumstances, back to what is happening to him, his feelings. And by the way, we, we're going to learn from Jesus, it's, it, and we learn it from the psalmist, uh, it's okay to complain to God. But you don't want to live in the complaint. You want to be resilient. You want to come back with truth. Because that's what happens in the Psalms, and that's what happens here with Jesus. Verse 6, but I am a worm, not a man. Um, Jesus' emotions vacillate. Um, he, 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 he had turned to God, and now he's, he's back to just re being reminded how bad it is. He's in despair. He cries out because he's alone. He, he has reminded God about how he's delivered other believers, but he still feels rejected. He feels worthless. He feels like a, a worm, no value humanly. Um, he is scorned by people. He's despised. Verse 7, all those who see me mock me. They hurl insights, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. By the way, David never had an experience like this. Jesus is mocked. He's insulted. He's made fun of. He's taunted. He's ridiculed. He trusts in the Lord. If he's the Messiah, just let the Lord rescue him. Um, but the answer is no. God is not going to rescue him from the cross. The cross is very real. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Matthew 27. So here's this uh, Psalm 22 is fulfilled in Jesus in the same way the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders they are at the foot of the cross, and they mock him. He saved others. He can't save himself. Let the king of Israel, uh, let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. Can Jesus come down? You know, we, we looked at this last week. Can Jesus come down from the cross? Well, he has the power, but he is restrained. He is constrained to the cross by his love, by his love for his father and by his love for you and for me. In the same way, um, verse 44, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. 
This is why Jesus feels forsaken and rejected and abandoned. Because now, not only the religious leaders, not only the Roman soldiers, but even the criminals uh, um, make fun of his suffering. Verses 9 and 10, now he vacillates back to confidence. He is resilient. He still has hope in his suffering. Verses 9 and 10. Yet you brought me out of the womb. And, and, and Jesus is going back to his, the origin of his human life, his humanity. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. God, you've been with me all the way from the very beginning. You have watched over each step of my development from infancy until this day, all of my human existence. You worked in my life to grow my trust and my confidence in you. Verse 10, from birth I was cast on you from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Lord, you gave me the parents that I have. You gave me parents who loved you. You gave me parents who taught me from the scriptures from a very young age. They taught me about who you are and how you work. You gave me parents who modeled what it means to live a godly life. You have been my God since I was a small child for as long as I can humanly remember. God, you've been there for me. And I have learned to walk with you. Verses 11 through 18, we come to our second movement of the passage, feeling abandoned in the midst of suffering. Now, though Jesus is able to find hope in suffering when he's reminded of God's past faithfulness, now his suffering on the cross becomes more intense. Watch this, verse 11. He he has a petition. All of Psalm 22 is a prayer. It's a prayer to the Father from the cross. Do not be far from me. He's talking to the Father. For trouble is near. There's no one to help. And he feels totally alone, totally in distress. He asks God to be close. God, where are you? I can't sense your presence. Um, He does not feel close. He only can see trouble. Verses 12 through 18, he continues and describes his predicament, and he he talks to God about his his predicament. His situation is awful. He describes his enemies in verses 12 and 13, and uh, verse 12 says, Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Now, he's not talking literally about animals here. He's using a figure of speech, and he's describing powerful, strong men. And these may well be the Roman soldiers present at the cross. And then he says in verse 13, Roaring lions that tear their prey, open their mouths wide against me. Lions are powerful animals as well, and ferocious and um, these may well represent the, the, the powerful religious leaders that are near the foot of the cross, and they're mocking and criticizing Jesus 
and making fun of him with their words. They open their mouths against me. He details more of his suffering in verses 14 through 18. And this is really specific. Verses 14 through 18 describe a horrific execution 900 years before the birth of Christ. Now, what's, what's amazing about this? In the time of David, crucifixion was not known. It was not a normal practice. In the first century, it was a normal practice of the Romans who ruled the world and how they carried out capital punishment. And it's described in this psalm. Let's see in verses 14 through 18. The psalmist says, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax. It is melted within me. Jesus is experiencing severe dehydration. He seems just to be evaporating in the sun. He has no dignity as he hangs there. His bones are out of joint. Probably his shoulders are dislocated. He feels like his life is slipping away. His heart is, is melting within him. Verse 15, he says, my, my mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Uh, dehydration has left him so that he could hardly speak. His tongue is is, is stuck to the roof of his mouth. He speaks to God, you lay me in the dust of death. Who's responsible for Jesus being on the cross? It's, it's the Father. It's not the Jewish people. Yes, they have a responsibility. It's not primarily the Romans. Yes, they have a responsibility. But he's there because of the Father's will. And he's there because he came to do the Father's will. He says, you lay me in the dust of death. Verse 16, dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. And so Jesus uses another reference for animals. Here, dogs, vicious dogs, they, they surround him. It's a metaphor for evil men. He said, they pierce my hands and feet. This is not something that David ever experienced. This is a prophecy a thousand years, 900 years earlier about crucifixion, the crucifixion of Messiah. Verse 17, all my bones are on display. Jesus is hanging in an awkward position. His skeleton was accentuated. People stare and gloat over me. They watched him suffer as a form of entertainment. Verse 18, they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment at the foot of the cross. We saw this, four soldiers throw dice for his clothing or cast lots. Um, Matthew 27, 35, Matthew records it. We saw this last week in Mark when they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. A little perk for the executioner's free clothes. Jesus now feels totally abandoned. 
His suffering has been great. He will die. But it will not be the end. We come to verses 19 through 31 for victory. Experiencing victory in the midst of suffering. Um, Yes, it was Friday. Jesus was put on the cross. Yes, on Friday, Jesus died around 3 p.m. But Sunday is yet to come. Jesus continues to talk to his father, verses 19 through 21, the petition. He says, but you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. He continues to ask for help. And and the father has always been his strength. Another one of those principles that you got to take home. You and I need God to be our strength, always. Um, Verse 20, deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of lions. Save me from the horns of wild oxen. And he continues to use uh, evil people. Um, He uses animals as metaphors for evil people. He says, deliver me from the sword. He's not talking about a literal sword. He's talking about the method of, he's talking about execution. Um, Someone who yields the sword yields the power of execution. Um, he, He asked God the Father to be rescued from these evil men. And what's the answer? What's the answer? The psalmist doesn't give us a specific answer. Next on your outline, there's a pause. There's a pause. What happens? Silence. 3 p.m. Friday afternoon. He's put in the grave before sundown, before somewhere around 6 o'clock. No word, nothing. Saturday, nothing. Sunday, the tomb is empty. He has risen. He has risen indeed. And there's a change. It changes the whole trajectory of Psalm 22. And we see this in verses 22 through 25, the praise Jesus says, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. Jesus worships again. Jesus will speak about God again. Jesus will address his disciples. Verse 23, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him, revere him. All you descendants of Israel. Jesus invites God's people to join him in praise, to join him in worship because of what he has done. Verse 24, he has not despised or discorned the suffering of the afflicted one. Jesus was scorned and he was despised and he was afflicted. Now God has answered. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. God did rescue him. God did uh, answer. But it included Jesus' 
suffering death. God's plan, God's will, God's timing. And it makes all the difference in the world. Verse 25, from you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. Jesus will accomplish all that has been, a prom- that has been promised, that he has promised, and he came to do his Father's will. That was his greatest promise, to come to do the Father's will. The writer of Hebrews records this in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12, and he quotes, it's from Psalm 22, and this is referred to from Jesus. I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. We also have Hebrews 5, 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Those were the cries and petitions that certainly he prayed more than once. But he's focusing on the cries and the petitions of Jesus on the cross. And the Father heard him. We come to the end of the passage in verses 26 through 31, and Jesus makes a prediction. He says, the poor, verse 26, will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. There is a time coming, Jesus says, when God will make all things right. The poor will be satisfied. Blessed are the poor, for they shall inherit the earth. Verse 27, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. There's a time coming when the entire earth, all of humanity, all of the spiritual world will recognize the Lord. They will turn to the Lord. And if you read through the book of Revelation, there is going to be mass repentance a huge number of people will be coming to faith. Uh, There is a time when all the people of the earth will bow down and recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord, Philippians chapter 2. And and the writer continues, for dominion belongs to the Lord and, and he rules over the nation. Dominion refers to the concept of kingdom, the kingdom of God. This is a time when Jesus will rule as the Lord of Lord, Lord and King of Kings in the kingdom of God, and that will lead to an eternal kingdom. Verse 29, all the rich of the earth will feast, rich and poor will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. We're talking about the living and the dead, those who... Uh, go to the dust. The living and the dead will one day be raised and one day bow down before our Lord Jesus Christ. He will be king of the living and the dead. 
Verse 30, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to people yet unborn, he has done it. Posterity, descendants. And in the case of Jesus, he has spiritual descendants. Those who are born again, born of a spiritual seed, they will declare the righteousness of God from generation to generation and how Jesus procured the righteousness uh, before God. And that has happened year after year down to our generation, and it will continue to happen, and that's what God has us about until Jesus returns. He has done it. It is finished. Jesus came to do the will of his Father. Of thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Revelation eleven fifteen depicts this theme. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet and, and, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever and the eternal king will be the king. Psalm 22 is an amazing psalm. It describes the, in great detail the crucifixion of Jesus 900 years before he was born. Why is that so important? Why is it so important? Why did Jesus die? And I just want to remind us and I know many of you know this, but I'm just going to, I just want to summarize a few things. 1 Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins. The great thing is he just needed to do it once. It was a payment for sins, and it was total and complete, and nothing ever could be added to it. The righteous for the unrighteous. He is the righteous one, the holy one, the one without sin, and we are the unrighteous because of our sin, because of our shortcomings, because we failed God, and he died for us once for all. Why? To bring you to God, to bring me to God, to begin, enable you and me to begin a relationship with God. And it's impossible without Jesus being our go-between. People try to do that without Jesus. They, they, they try to manufacture manufacture ways to be acceptable to God through religion, but it is through Jesus that we can connect with God. He was put to death in the body, the crucifixion, and he was made alive in the spirit, and that's the resurrection. So to summarize the main message of the Bible, just um, a couple of minutes. First of all, all of us need to understand all people have sinned and broken God's laws. That's another way of saying we are all sinners. Uh, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God has high standards. All people fail God's standards. God calls it sin. We fail God in our attitudes, in our actions. The second thing that we need to be reminded of is that the ultimate consequence for sin is eternal condemnation. 
Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. Uh, the Bible says we deserve this death, a spiritual death, which ultimately leads to eternal punishment. The good news is that God loves us and sent his son, Jesus, to die for our sin. You know, if you think about it, it might be hard to imagine that God loves us. It might be hard for you to imagine that God loves you, but he does. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. He loves us, and he sent Jesus to pay for all of our spiritual debts, for all of our sin. Romans 5, 8 puts it this way. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his love. It was sacrificial love. While we were sinners, it wasn't because we had achieved something or that we're super good people. He did it while we were sinners because of our sin. Christ died for us. He took our place. He was our substitute. Uh, he was our stand-in. He took all that I deserve on himself. He paid it in full. And your sin penalty, all of it has been paid in full. Lastly, the good news is God has only one requirement for us to be forgiven by him. And we come to God on his terms, by his requirements. Uh, Paul and, the Apostle Paul and Silas were asked a question, what must I do to be saved? And they answered in Acts 16, 31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You, if you believe, and your household, if your household will believe. Believe in Jesus. Believe that Jesus is alive right now because he was resurrected. He is a living God. And I think sometimes people just think, well, he, yeah, he's dead, and it's kind of religious stuff, and it's a religious idea. I, mean, I just want to say he is alive. And if you and I could go to the right hand of God right now, we would see his resurrected body. The Apostle John puts it this way, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever, the invitation is to whoever, any person, because Jesus died for all people. Whoever believes in Jesus. My question is, have you put your trust in Christ? Have you believed in Jesus, who he is and what he's done for you? And I know many of you have. I know many of you have made that decision. But, you know, this is why we exist as a church, is to share this information. And I want to remind you as a church how important this is that we share this as information. And if you're here and you've never placed your faith in Christ before, if you're watching uh, online and, and you've never put your trust in Christ, I just want to I'll give you an opportunity as we close this morning Consider putting your faith in Christ if you've never done that. And so I want to just go through a prayer. And um, it's just reminding of these uh, important uh, facts, um, who, who we are and, and who, who God is. 
And so let's just uh, close our time here. And I want to give you a chance to pray this prayer if you've never done that before. Would you bow with me? If you would like to put your faith in Christ, I would encourage you just to follow along from your heart silently. Dear God, I just recognize that I'm a sinner, that I failed you. I understand that Jesus died for me. Don't, don't understand all the whys. Don't understand all, everything there is to know about your love. But I understand that Jesus died for me. He paid for my sins. Thank you. And God, right now, I just put my trust in Jesus Christ. I believe in him. And I need him to help me to be the person that he wants me to be. Lord, please help me to learn to follow you in all that I do. And if you prayed that prayer with me, um, the Bible says that your sins are forgiven and that you have eternal life. That the Holy Spirit has come to live in you. That you are a child of God and you are part of God's family and you have been born again and you get a fresh start, a new life. Thank God for what he's done for you. And then God for all of us, as we think about Psalm 22 and just we are reminded that life is really hard sometimes and sometimes we go through serious crisis Sometimes we feel totally alone. Sometimes we feel dejected, rejected, of little value of importance. Sometimes we feel, God, like you are really far away. God, enable us to come back, to not totally lose heart, but to turn to you and remind you about what you have done in our past, what you have done in the lives of other people, what you've done in the scriptures. Help us to be resilient. God, we know that you will answer prayer. We know that you will deliver us. May we accept your will and not our will. And I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.